بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وأفضل الصلاة وأتم التسليم على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم أجمعين سبحانك لا علمنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم So this is our fourth session of the on the topic of educating children, looking at this traditional manual written by Imam Muhammad bin Ahmad al-Ramli, titled Riyadh al-Sibyan, the English translation of which is Educating Children with a subtitle of Classical Advice for Modern Times. So we've reached page 23, and inshallah we will keep moving forward. And just another Disclaimer, as we've said before, uh, unfortunately that modern psychology and or educational psychology in particular is something that I've only really studied from a traditional perspective, so I won't be as able as I would like to to draw from uh, many of the benefits of modern that educational psychology. So that for those of you that have a background in that, feel free to add and suggest as we move forward and to contextualize as well this very traditional manual. Because again, it really is rooted in principles that have that been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. Okay, so the next lines in the Arabic poem state, لِإِنَّ تَأْدِيبَ الصَّبِيِّ فِي صِغَارَهِ زِيَادَةٌ لِحَظِّهِ فِي كِبَارَهِ يَنَادُ فِي ذَاكَ الْحُذُوذَ الْوَافِرَةِ وَرَاحَةِ الدُّنْيَا وَخَيْرَ الْآخِرَةِ فَيَنْبَغِي لِكُلِّ جَدٍّ وَآبِي وَقَيِّمِ الْحَاكِمِ تَأْدِيبُ الصَّبِيِّ لِإِنَّهُ أَمَانَةٌ عِنْدَهُمُ وَقَلْبُهُ يَقْبَلُ تَأْدِيبَهُمُ لابنها تهدد بالأب زجرنه عن الخنا واللعب إن قل إذ قلبه كشمعة المقصورة مجوهرة يقبل كل صورة فينبغي لهم بأن يعودوا أولادهم فعل التقال يسعدوا. So that translates as the upbringing of a child in the early years will increase his portion in the later years. And in that he will gain an abundance, good fortune, peace in this world, and the goodness of the next. Therefore, educating the child is a must for every grandfather, father, and everyone given responsibility. For he is a trust granted to them, and his heart is open to their education. The mother should caution her child with the father, protecting him from inequity and folly. His heart is like a pure candle, able to adopt any form. And so it is necessary that they habituate their children to doing righteous deeds so they attain felicity. So let's look at this. So the first line is the upbringing of a child in the years will increase his portion in the later years. And that what we are really taking here when we look at this line is the repercussions of educating our children and that training them spiritually and religiously and psychologically and even physically the training 
and the time that we invest in that training will be extremely beneficial for that child that in that child's later years. And the phrase in Arabic that says fi which literally means when he is small, um, it refers to the state where children are first able to accept such education and that there is a proper time for each various stage of nurturing and educating the child that specific things go along with these various times and this is what this manual is going to do it's going to walk us through these various stages and so we have to know what to do when and again to reiterate which is so important and this is primarily for people that have yet to have children that might even still be choosing their life partner to really think way ahead but sometimes it's hard to really think about these things early on before someone actually gets married before someone actually has children while the children are still young it doesn't mean that we give up if we think about these matters after the fact but ideally that we would have thought about these from the very beginning and all along the way and to put things in place to that maximize that from the standpoint of the outward because in the end is that our children's success or lack of is in the hands of Allah Jalla Jalalu. Is that we could be the very best parent that did everything right and that our child doesn't turn out the way that we hope. That we could be not a very good parent and the child could turn out great. Or we could be somewhere in between. You never really know. Because ultimately that the hearts are in the hands of Allah Jalla Jalalu. Our goal is before our Lord to do our very best. And he includes in his commentary here, uh, Sheikh Abdul Aziz Ahmed, that the wife of one of our teachers said that this stage is like preparing dough. And so it's before you actually get to the process of cooking the food, or in this case, let's imagine it being bread, is that you're preparing the dough. And you can mix in it whatever whichever way you wish and the product will be clear once it has risen depending upon what you put in that dough that you could put in food color and you could put in too much salt whatever it is is that you will see the repercussions of how you made that dough and what it is that you put in it uh, when that uh, the child uh, that gets older And another way of looking at this is like planting a seed. And that when the, you plant a seed, that the tree is very vulnerable in those early stages. And you have to plant the seed in the correct way. And you have to nurture it, and you have to care for it, and you have to be very careful. If it is exposed to that anything that's severe at that early stage, it could affect that tree from the very beginning. And it's actually very easy. Even a child can come up and just pick the sprout out of the soil. But you have to nurture it and really care for it so that the roots start to grow. And then once that the roots start to grow and take root, is that then it becomes stronger. And then the trunk 
grow stronger and then the branches come and eventually it will bear fruit. But it, a child is like this. There are various stages of that development. But again, <laughs> is it based upon this metaphor of the tree, is that if you don't care for that tree in the early stage, if you don't plant that tree in the correct soil, is that there will be reper repercussions even when that tree that grows. And that he goes on to say as well is that this verse suggests that the benefits of education will be seen later in life and in the hereafter. And we have this blessed statement of Hujjat al-Islam Imam Ghazali. If the child who is, habit is habituated to and instructed in goodness, then this will be its practice when it grows up and it will be attained to felicity in this world and the next, its parents too. And all its teachers and preceptors will share in its reward. So there's something about when you get children at a young age um, that used to doing certain things, it sticks with them. And even if they have that difficult teenage year stage, as we oftentimes have in the society, is that it is that when these principles are firmly rooted uh, in the child, is that they tend to come back to them. And that if they stray a little bit at one point, they tend to come back. And again, this is the this, this same idea of making the foundations strong. And that when those foundations are strong, is that it's like those deep roots that will allow that the tree then to withstand, that withstand violent winds and storms and things of this nature. And there's another meaning to this verse as well, is that that the more adab that children learn in all of the meanings of this adab, not only restricted to the meaning of manners, but also in relation to knowledge, is that the more that that will benefit them throughout life. And increasingly, that when they enter into the job world, companies are looking for that much more than just the IQ, just their ability to take tests and their smarts. As in increasingly, they're looking for other skills as well. They're looking for social intelligence. They're looking for emotional intelligence. They're looking for certain traits that they have, um, like integrity and honesty and the willingness to take initiative. And I remember a friend of mine who was interviewing for a position to be a lawyer that and this is actually what my sister does for a living at, at Microsoft and in Seattle she actually hires people and that they're now that beyond what was traditionally IQ or even EQ or SQ now they're talking about the X quotient that where they really try to ask you questions somewhat outside of the box to determine to the extent possible, whether you're really the right fit. So this individual, he's interviewing for a lawyer position. And the interviewer that asked him, do you think you know yourself? Which is an interesting question. That's probably not the most common question that you're going to get when you're doing a job interview. And he had studied a little bit of the science of Ihsan and Islam. So he actually was honest. And he said, there are things about myself that I know, but there's actually a lot that I don't know. And sometimes with these questions, 
that you feel that if you answer in the affirmative and very confidently, that's actually what they're not looking for. Because anyone that's going to ask that question is going to know if someone says, oh yes, I know myself in and out that something's wrong with that person, that they're actually not telling the truth. So that's the way he answered. And then he said, well, do you think that in 10 years you're going to know yourself more? And he said, to be honest, I think the more that I actually find, will find out about myself, the more that I will realize that there's a lot that I don't know about myself. Which is a very spiritually deep answer. And that he ended up getting the job and they commented after is that he had never heard answers as good as the ones that he had given. And I'm just giving you a summary of it, but there were several questions which for us really are getting into the idea of spirituality. And the point here being is that there's certain traits that you can learn when you're a child is that they will help you throughout your life. If we can ingrain these, if these traits can be ingrained in the children at early age. And this is why, is that religious traits are going to benefit you in everything that it is that you do. Is it what you learn from prayer and what you learn from fasting, what you learn from giving zakat, what you learn from service, all of these various religious forms of worship or religious principles, they will help you in the corporate world, in the job world, when you're interacting with people, even if you're not working, that they will help you in every aspect of your life. There's no book of leadership that I read that has introduced anything that our Prophet has not taught us. It's all there. It's just a matter of articulation. How do we articulate it? It's all there. And that these traits, when they're in us, is that they will help us that throughout our lives. And then he says here, the benefits of education are abundant. And the, the word that he uses in Arabic is hulul. And that it's roughly translated in English as portions. Your health, um, I tend to shy away from words like fortune and as, as such because it um, indicates maybe a, uh, some, a, a meaning that we wouldn't uh, that really stand by. Uh, that, but anyhow, is that the portion here? is that it relates to the, the blessings that we receive. These various haluth are blessings that we receive as a result. And the idea of wafira is that they be abundant. And um, that he actually refers it here to the arahat dunya And that he translates it here as peace of this world. Probably repose will be a little bit closer to this idea of raha. Uh, but the meaning here really is, is that as a result of this ta'deeb, this process of education and inculcation of adab, is that not only will it help the child when they're older, not only will it lead them to be successful in the religion and in their worldly life, is that it will also that grant them repose as a result of that the knowledge that they have and the manners that are inculcated within them. And um, that education does, as Sheikh Abdulaziz says here, provide us with the opportunity to worship correctly and live our lives in a state of good physical, mental, and spiritual health. And 
that education here being twofold. The idea of the learning portion of it, but also the idea of that actually putting it into practice and living it. And so then he further emphasizes, Therefore, educating the child is a must for every grandfather, father, and everyone given responsibility. So what he essentially does here is that let us know that who has the primary responsibility of raising the children. And of course, that that first and foremost falls upon the parents. And that in the absence of the parents, then it is the primary responsibility of the grandparents. In the absence of the grandparents, is that here then, as he says here, the qayyim al-hakam, is that the one who, that the judge gives that that make, gives the responsibility of the child to. And so that this is a communal obligation, uh, and that if that a child does not have parents or grandparents, is that someone in the community take care of them. And that there's a, a lot that could be brought out the way that that's done in uh, the society in which we live and the uh, number of children that are uh, put forth for adoption and one of the things in this conference that I just took part in on psychology, a lot of these numbers were brought out and um, that the very difficult states that many of these child end up in as a result of growing up into foster homes and many of them that when they reach the age where they no longer can be in a foster home, which is that age 21, and it could differ from state to state, is that they have a very difficult time that, that readjusting into society. Um, but that the, the primary caretakers are the parents. And um, this is no different than in, in American law. That in that American law, up until the age of 18, is that the parents are the primary caretakers and legally responsible uh, for the children, and there are some exceptions to this. However, is that this isn't very this isn't much different than um, that uh, than Islamic law in that regard, except with regarding to maybe the age um, in Islamic law. Is that once the children that reach puberty, then they're legally responsible before Allah, and there are certain things that previously they couldn't do. That now they can do. And um, it's important for us to know that a little bit about this, inshallah, as we that go through this, this work, is that this will come out ta'ala. So that this is really pointing to the idea of responsibility. And if the parents are not the ones raising the ch child, then the, the grandparents need to be the ones doing so in the absence of the grandparents, is that someone is appointed and by the community to bear that responsibility. And from here is that uh, we should understand the great blessing of that adopting children, um, especially orphans. And the Prophet ﷺ that he said, the best home among Muslims is one in which there is an orphan who is treated well. And that our Prophet also said, that Anna kahatain. I and the caretaker of orphans are like these two fingers. In other words, that we will be together in paradise. And um, 
This is obviously an immense responsibility and it is an immense undertaking, but it is one of the greatest acts. And our Prophet is it encouraged the community to do this. And, um, and he also encouraged the community to treat orphans well. We have these blessed statements like, whoever places his hand on the head of an orphan showing mercy will receive reward for every hair he passes over. And so here in even that touch and that showing love in extra empathy. And this is good to do for children in general, to really show them love and to that embrace them and so forth. And um, I know at like school settings there's rules for touching children and stuff like that, but just assuming normalcy is that uh, these things are, are good to do, but especially for the orphan as that especially reaching out to care for them. And um, <clears throat> another aspect of this is, as Sheikh Abdaziz points out, is that really the foundation of this, and we talked about this last session as well, is our own behavior. So the parents, the grandparents, those responsible of the children, it really is our own behavior that matters the most. What do our children see in us? And again, we're all imperfect. And we all make mistakes. And we all do things that we shouldn't do. Uh, but is that if we make a mistake, we should also that show our children what we do when we make a mistake. So if you make a mistake, turn it into a learning opportunity. And that don't be stubborn and refuse to admit that you're wrong. If we make a mistake, that have the courage to show the humility. And even if you think that, oh, if I apologize, if I really did something wrong that was not according to this deen to one of my children, that, oh, you shouldn't do that because that is going to that leave an impression in the child that they no longer respect your authority. But I would probably say that that is not the case. You're teaching the children what to do when you make mistakes. And that even if something happens in the short term as a result, that's really the way that we want them to be. Is that when they make mistakes, they admit that they made a mistake, that they correct the mistake that they made. And ideally that we do it quickly. We don't let it persist. Is that we that want to rectify the wrong as quick as possible. And then Imam Luzari has this beautiful statement, um, which because really it's... it. It really is, um, you know, it really weighs heavy on you to know that how we affect our children's lives. He says, a child is a trust in the care of the parents, for his heart is a precious uncut jewel devoid of any form or carving. Whenever he says his, it obviously refers to the female as well. So a child is a trust in the care of the parents, for his heart is a precious uncut jewel, devoid of any form or carving, <coughs> which will accept being cut into any shape. It will be disposed according to the guidance it receives from others. Very well put. And then he's going to start mentioning uh, that something specific here. And he, what this is really, this is really a part of the topic of uh, the caretakers, both men and women alike, and um, 
we'll come back to this when we look at a quote of, actually we'll probably take it with it. But he says here, وَالْأُمُّ لِبْنِهَا تُهَدِّدُ بِالْأَبِّ زَجْرًا لَهُ عَنِ الْخَنَى The mother should caution her father, her, her child rather, with the father. And... Um, The mother should caution her child with the father. And um, that who will then um, be able to correct his behavior and to help return him to a state of adab. And he that mentions this as um, a part of successful tarbiyah is that both parents have a role in the raising of the child. And oftentimes, that the child, and this is not in every case, oftentimes, that the child will take advantage or try to take advantage more of the mother than the father. Now, this really differs from family to family. Um, as I mentioned before, in my family, it was actually the opposite. It was the father who was who used to try to take advantage of and it was the mother who was the disciplinarian. Um, and there are some families that are like that. And I think that I'm just going to actually skip forward to this statement because this really is right at the heart of the matter when he has in this latter section on page 28 and 20 about discussion. And um, the question is, should men and women have distinct roles in bringing up children? If so, what should they be? Are there cases where they overlap? Uh, that he has a quote here of uh, Habib Omar where it says, Fathers should inspire awe, but through gentleness and kindness. The mother should threaten the child with the father. This is the norm, but in some cases, the mother by her nature may be stern and strong. And as long as the father is gentle and kind, they can have a good outcome. It is when both are permissive and easy about everything, or both are always harsh and strict and, quote, crack the whip in every situation, whether it is appropriate or not, that the environment becomes corrupted. The nature of the child is that he or she requires sternness and parameters as well as mercy and kindness. So in, in many cases, is that, that this still holds um, that the mother should caution her child with the father. And that the, the real key is, is that there be a balance in the household. Is that there has to be parameters. That there has to be a schedule. There has to be that a way of doing things and that uh, my wife and I were talking and how that they've actually proven that children who have responsibilities and have chores and that they do around the home, home become more successful that later on in their life. This whole idea of the parents saying, oh, I'm going to do it so that my children don't and I'm just going to free them up to study. Uh, this is a big problem is that if we don't give children significant types of responsibility until after they graduate from college, then how are they going to be prepared for life? And one of the many factors, and I was speaking about this with Ustad Fatima yesterday, one of the many factors that why we have this extended childhood, which in many ways is negative, is because we don't accustom our children to assuming responsibility that early on. And I've, I think I've mentioned this before, but just reflect upon that, that once a young boy, even if he has not become legally responsible, 
has each to reached the age of discrimination. So whether that's five, six, or seven, that early stage, and he knows how to perform wudu and to perform the prayer, he would actually lead the prayer in the household. Look at the beauty of that. That what is being that inculcated in that even prepubescent child. And that really finding ways, and we have to all do this, is that as our children get closer and closer to becoming of age, that ways that we can um, make them aware of that responsibility. I remember when we were in California, uh, there was a, a, a very blessed woman who was a very good mother, and that she started this very culturally permissible and beautiful thing, that every time a child reached the age of Tamiz, so that age of discrimination, and, and she was really going off when they reached the age of seven, because now that they're encouraged to pray, is that she would have like a party for the child, and that child would present something very creative, in front of a group of people that she invited over, and that they would then sew, I don't know whether a heart or whatever they were, something that would be a part of this other woven, like, um, uh, what? Like a, so basically, everyone had their name, and any child that reached age seven, it was sewn on to, to, so there's a name that it's sewn together, and then someone else's name, someone else's name, it's kind of sewn in succession. And every time someone would reach an age, that they would add their name and sew it into this list of other names. And it was a beautiful thing. It's a bidah hasana. It's a beautiful thing. A good innovation. Because it, it really is, in a public sense, making everyone else as aware, as aware now. And this is something we should do wherever we are, at the level of the family, at the level of the community. We should have that awareness at the level of the masjid even, or the musallah here. Is that if we know that there's children that have reached the age of seven, and even if it's not our child, and we see them, like once the iqama is being called, walking outside, we should all be like, no, no, you should pray. Now from that age to seven to ten, they're just encouraged to pray. Right? They're just encouraged. And when the Prophet ﷺ said, use the language command, it doesn't mean the way that we normally think the word command, muru. It doesn't mean that you say, pray. It's not what the Prophet meant, ﷺ. He meant by that that you encourage them to pray. You teach them to pray. And I would even go as far to say is that you make them love prayer. That you show them the benefits of prayer. That you make them love praying. And there's something about that when they... You know, but if they, for instance, run out of the line like halfway through, or the imam is reciting a long surah and they that leave the prayer lines, you don't admonish them, you leave them. Or that if you remind them to pray, but they just keep playing with their friends, you don't admonish them. Now, once they reach the age of 10, then that's different. Then it's like you're supposed to have been putting in that groundwork for three years and now it's like no you need to pray did you pray what did you recite in your prayer and that we really should we really should encourage that we pray in congregation is that there's that tendency in the kids that they want to just pray quickly and get back to doing whatever it is that they were doing or you have 
three different kids or five different kids in the household and there's five different fajrs because everyone wakes up, prays fajr and goes right back to sleep. Is that we should get in the habit of praying together and um, especially for the main prayers. And if there's other times where people are coming and going, that's different. But we should encourage this, that there be a jama'ah, a congregation in the prayer. And so back to this idea of, of uh, should caution her, her child with the father, if we look back at what Habi Omar's statement is, really what we want is balance. And if this indeed the fact that the children tend to take advantage of the mother more, is that then the father has to step up and to be that disciplinarian. And when she means caution the child with the father, uh, right, doesn't mean is that the father hurts, obviously, the child. That's not what it means here. It just means is that the children all have to be in awe of one of the parents. And um, it's that balance between that loving your children, but also that maintaining that status of being a parent. And I think it's a, there's a special challenge here in our time that I do think some of the ways that uh, the, the awe that parents were held in previously, like if, if you ask, uh, in, even, in, even in Western culture, right, that, that there's certain ways that kids never spoke to parents, ever. Right? Impossible. Impossible. Right, to speak to your child like that. Unfortunately, that the decadence that is seen in movies and on television and that on the internet, it's just what our children are picking up. Like, where are you getting that from? Right? It's from this just this 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 absolutely that just horrible stuff that they're seeing that uh, on in, in, in the media. But traditional children they, they wouldn't speak to their parents like that. I mean, I even I know my own mother. It's like, what? Right? You're going to, like, that she, she would say, we never would speak like that to grandfather or to my, your grandfather, your grandmother. And um, especially in the Muslim world, where still to this day, you have a lot of people. And there was, that there were people who reached the point where, that if their parents said something, they wouldn't come back. But what about, but, like, they wouldn't do that. There's this famous story of Habib Abdullah bin Umar bin Yahya where he was in Medina Munawwara with his uh, mother and um, he thought that they were going to go back home to Tarim, to Hadramaut or not Tarim, to Masila, but to, back to Hadramaut and his mother said, you know, Medina is such an amazing place I'm going to stay here and they mentioned in there that ma kan yuraja he would ne- if his mother wanted to do something, he would never say, but mom, what about, but mom, we need... He said, okay. And then famously, is that she saw a dream with the Prophet Sallallahu that night. And the Prophet said to her, is that my concern for you is greater in Hadramaut than it is here. You should go back to Hadramaut. So she wakes up in the morning and tells her son, okay, we're going back to Hadramaut. He said, mom, what happened? You want to stay in Medina? And he mentioned to her, she mentioned the story of the Prophet but the shahid here is, is that, that that wasn't something that people tended to do. Now, I know that in our culture, to expect that from our children might be a little bit much. And um, I think we have to understand it is difficult in relation to what they're exposed to. 
but we also have to inch closer and closer to these traditional principles. And then you will find people that have been negatively affected by them in some ways, where there are some parents that have crossed the line and abused uh, their station as a parent. And um, so when you say things like that, it triggers a very bad memory in them. So it is important to recognize is that what we're really calling to is balance. In general, is that these traditional principles are good and that when they're applied correctly, they're good and they lead to good. And the closer that we can be to them, the better in general. And we're excluding from that the times where, and again, that's when they're not implemented properly, where there's abuse. And there are multiple incidents of that. And that I've dealt with multiple people like that where their parents are really micromanaging their lives and sometimes making their children miserable by forcing them to be a certain way or to do a certain thing or to even marry a specific person. We have to be very careful about that. And this is the other side of it is that we really have to understand the challenges of our time and to that really be wise in terms of how we approach them and to have realistic expectations of how they can actually be. And that's hard. That's hard, especially if you love your children and it's even harder when you've seen traditional societies in incredible examples of the way that children can be. So it it is hard, but we always have to remind ourselves of that nevertheless. So balance is really what we want. And even then, it's not like it's saying like the father's the disciplinarian and the mother isn't, or the mother's the disciplinarian and the father isn't. Is that both have to reflect both of those principles as well, both parents. You know, both parents need to discipline the children. Both parents need to set boundaries. And both parents need to show love. And they need to show that empathy and to care for them. So um, let's understand this correctly and not to see this as, uh, as, as, as a dichotomy. But having said all of that and presenting it holistically, is that still if there's times where the mother needs to caution her child with the father, she should do so. And that if the father's needed to that put the kids in line, then this is something that is important. And he does clarify this. He says, I like the examples offered by Habib Hussein. Oops, we forgot to mention that. He says that Habib Hussein bin Fulki points out that the success of the tarbi of the child is dependent on the perception the child has of his parents. The father has a responsibility to make sure that he's always seen as upright and act as a role model whom the child is, is in awe of. He suggests that, for example, if the father has some type of bad habit, is that it's better not to do that bad habit in front of the child so that the image of the child of the parent as a good role model is not damaged. And that Sheikh Abdul Aziz goes on to comment on, he says, I like the examples offered by Habib Hussein. Many might interpret these lines as suggesting that the father should be seen as a terrifying tyrant who threatens the child, which is obviously right, not the case. This is far from reality. That Imam Haddad mentions, and it's actually an ethar, there's a narration that states, is that a, that a man, there are, will be men that will be counted among the tyrants, although they had no responsibilities in this world other than his family. Yet he wronged them and acted unjustly towards them. 
and uh, the Arabic is, is that yuktab min al-jabbarin. There are men that will be written from the tyrants, the jabbarin, terrible people. And the only people they're responsible for is their family. And that this has also been said that there will be people who will be raised with Pharaoh on Yom Qiyamah. The same archetype of Pharaoh existed within them. And that they only had a few people around them that they could act like that with. But were they to have been put in the position of the Pharaoh, they would have caused as much destruction as he did because the archetype existed within them. And thus that, as a result, they very well might be raised with him because of those states that are within him. And so this is very, very serious. And I think that really, for us, the greatest example is in the Prophet himself, وسلم, and we know that he was simultaneously described as that when people saw him at first, that they were in awe of him. And at the same time, when they spent time with him, they came to love him. So we had that perfect balance between Jamal and Jalal, beauty and majesty. And everything was put in its proper place from every perspective, from every angle, from every dimension with our Prophet ﷺ to the extent that we can move in the direction, let's say, of that trying to be like that, men and women alike, is that this is really the way that we should be thinking. I read something recently about a statement of Imam Malik which was amazing. And he said, is that it is an obligation upon the parent, is that they do things to become beloved to their children. Until that, they actually become the most beloved person of all to their children. And the Arabic is yatahabbab, yajibu. It is an obligation. And he was speaking specifically in relation to the man, but it applies equally to the woman, to this, the, the, the mother, the father, and it applies equally to the mother. And yatahabbaba ila auladihi is that he do things to become mahbub, beloved to his children. Until that he be the most beloved person to them, or she be the most beloved person to them. And again, that doesn't mean that we let them do what they want. No, that's, you're going to harm the child if you let them do whatever you want. But we should surprise them. And sometimes, you know, in general, yes, we should sleep on time. In general, yes, we should eat healthy. In general, yes, we should have that a regime. But sometimes it's good to break it. Sometimes it's you know, good to that, eat something that's maybe not the healthiest thing to eat. Occasionally, as long as it's not the norm. Sometimes it's good to that, go out of your way and surprise them and to do something that is that they like to do. Whatever that thing might be. And that we should find ways to do this so that you become beloved to them. And that if the parent or the parents are really the most beloved of people to the children, is that much of what they need, they won't seek from the outside. They'll receive it already from their parents. It's very <coughs> healthy. And if they're receiving already what they need from their immediate family, oh, there's such a protection there. How many people that are not being fulfilled in one way or another from what they're receiving from home that they seek it outside in different ways. And 
Um, again, that we're talking about ideal situations here. And in the absence of the ideal, we still do our best. And we that never give up and we that always maintain that a good opinion of Allah and place our trust in Him and to do the very best we can because unfortunately the norm it seems to be in our time is that not only not attaining the ideal is the opposite of the ideal. <laughs> That's become the norm right, in our society. And um, in more traditional societies is that, that you know, I, I think you can assume and that's even breaking down to this day. The more that, that these societies are infected and affected by modernity, the more you see all of this breaking down. Um, and that the carpet literally is being pulled from underneath people very quickly. And when that's the case, you have to readjust and approach it in a very different way. And so I really do advise all parents to be fun with your children. Get down and actually enjoy it with them. Do things where they really come to love you. And then, if there's certain things that they do wrong, you have to be firm. And you have to say, no. If they mention something bad about someone, no, we don't talk bad about people ever. And naturally, they're going to want to see that joyful side of you. They're going to want to see the happy side of you. They're going to want to see the playful side of you. They'll learn very quickly. When you put your foot down. No, we don't speak bad about people. Ever. Ever. Don't say that. No, we don't mistreat people. Ever. And you lay down those parameters of where they don't go. And, okay, if you stay up a little bit later than on one night, guess what? We're all definitely, I don't want to hear any whining in the morning when we wake up and pray Fajr in congregation. I'll let you on this one night stay up a little bit later, but... We're all praying Fajr together. Or that something of that nature. And when we balance things out like this, this is what they need. This is what all human beings need. And even spiritually, because we're all like children spiritually, with the great shuyukh, this is what they do. They do things where you are, they are the most beloved people to you. Khalas! They're the most beloved people to you. And then it's the same principles. Um, they give a little bit of leeway here, but then, okay, get yourself together here. And this is the way that it works. This is how human beings respond to this. Is that were you to be harsh and hard-hearted, is that they would have dispersed from around you, وسلم. So what we really want is that nice balance. Um, and then, let's move on here. He has this whole discussion of Kiwama, which is about maintenance and responsibility and that caretaking, which is important. But I'm going to go to the last paragraph on page 27, where he says, The challenge of changing circumstances is in maintaining the principles set out in the Quran, in the words of the scholars, yet presenting role models that are relevant and sustainable in an ever-changing world. I mean, he's got it right on there. The challenge is not unique to the Muslim community. We should recognize that. These changes affect all communities, and many are questioning whether these traditional models can still work. Sue Palmer suggests, and she has a book titled Detoxing Childhood, 
Part of the problem with modern child rearing is that as women's roles in society have changed, essential knowledge has been forgotten. In the past, bringing up children was always, quote, women's work. And through the centuries, women learned a lot about their charges. Information about children's needs was passed from mother to daughter and back up by grandmothers and other, quote, wise women in the community. In the revolutionary change of the last few decades, much of this ancient wisdom has disappeared. She concludes that, quote, gradually, however, science has confirmed that much of the ancient wisdom was true. And that is not to suggest that men don't have a role. And I think the quote there really is, is that the ancient wisdom of these principles, of how, I would say, both men and women relate to raising the child. Of course, when the child is especially young, um, in the average household, or the, that it is, that, and again, this is changing, uh, but still to the day, I think that the statistics of the Muslim community are uh, probably significantly different than the, uh, the, the greater uh, that society in which we live, and that it tends to be that the, uh, that the fathers that are working more than the mothers. And this is because of the responsibility that Islam places upon the man to take care of the household. And even though this is even changing within the Muslim community, um, and nor does it mean that that is the only setup. Um, there's the dimension of law, and then there's the dimension of how the, the husband and wife and the spouses work out to make things work. So it doesn't always fit a cookie-cutter way, and I think this is what he does a reasonable job of in his commentary is to show that there are multiple archetypes, there are different ways of doing this, that even though things tended to be a certain way traditionally in the Muslim world, even in the Muslim world it wasn't always cookie cutter like, is that there were different relationships and different setups uh, that different people had and then again the legal dimension remains and that really is about responsibility and rights because that ultimately you have to be able to hold someone accountable, right? If in the situation where there's disputes or things go wrong, this is the whole purpose of law. But when you, if you approach a relationship as a set of rules, who knows how long that relationship's going to last? Is it relationships, the glue of relationships is ihsan. The glue of relationships is good character. And that preferring the other over yourself is giving the other their haq and not demanding that yours. So, inshallah ta'ala, I think we can uh, uh, stop there. And the rest can be read on your own. In the light ta'ala, we can open up the floor for questions. If there are any. Mm-hmm. So the question was in relation to 
uh, someone who has a special ed uh, child, um, that how do we approach this? And, um, you know, and really the question was, what is the Islamic way? And I think that when it comes to uh, situations as such, um, it really is important to receive professional help. And much of that professional help is not un-Islamic. Some might be, so it is a matter of sifting through some of the things that right, don't fit in terms of what we believe or what it is that we do. Uh, but I would say that a good portion, not the vast majority of things of this, of this nature, of that um, practical guidance on how to approach these situations are very helpful. Uh, so, so really my, my advice would be to get, would be to get professional help uh, in these situations. And um, that there are a few things that, that I could mention is that there tends to be a stigma in our community that for um, special needs children or mental illness even. And um, I think that, that it's, it's very important that we do show that unconditional love and have a lot of empathy and get beyond a lot of the stigma and understand that these things happen to people and get beyond this very immature way of approaching these types of situations where we still create an environment where the child can grow up in a healthy manner and we ingrain this into our own children that in terms of their interactions with the other people we were just I just benefited from a conversation last night of a psychologist who was making a differentiation between a special needs child and her family of natural reactions uh, to things that they see happening from special needs children and between that reactions that are beyond natural in the sense that it is now an attempt to that judge or put down that person um, and natural reactions right, are, are, are you can't discipline someone for them and you can condition them though to not respond in a way that's going to harm that particular individual and I think that we have to do a much better job of that with our own kids and uh, in our community. And um, so I, I really think that it's important to educate ourselves about the nature of that particular um, uh, illness, whatever it might be, and some of the things that go along with it. And if it reaches the point where um, it is impairing their cognition, their aql, and um, then that's a very different situation. Then they're no longer legally responsible. And when that actually happens based upon what illness we're talking about, there's a spectrum. But when it reaches the point where it's impaired their cognition, then they're no longer legally responsible before Allah. And so that's before Allah. But then there's the idea of that helping care for that individual. And it's really hard for one person to do that that they, they need to that put themselves in a situation where they have help and that people that know what it is that they're doing and know how to that respond and treat someone that has that particular illness. And so the specifics of it are beyond my ability to really answer. That's just some general ways I think that we can think about it. And if anyone else would like to add something, please. Mm. And he still, he still don't understand, like, yeah, he, he is a, a 
Mm. Uh, you still don't understand. Sometimes you don't understand. Like, can I say? You don't understand. Like, uh, life is like this. Human be like this or something like that. Mm. And he don't know. He don't know what he did. He don't remember what he did. He mm. don't remember. He he just like a fifth, five years old like that, mm. but actually he is eleven. Mashallah, mm. 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 bless him and, and, and preserve him and, and uh, um, make everything easy for you. I know this is difficult for you, and Allah give you strength to do what is best for him and to create an environment where he could thrive in the night out. And, and uh, you know, are there people that you have helping you with the situation or? Born in Malaysia, my son. Uh, that time we are is Christian. I just, I just uh, convert Islam. Mashallah. Recently. Yeah. Mashallah. Allah bless you. Preserve you. Mashallah. Uh, last last month. Last month. Mashallah. hands with Sister Lenny inshallah and uh, then hopefully that uh, you can yeah. in, in my dream is uh, I mean I have dream with Victor can be like uh, can do anything by himself I want to he go independent he's independent uh, because I was worried when I'm die who's gonna taking care of him mm, mm. Mashallah. God bless you. No, inshallah, if you rely upon Allah, inshallah, He'll be taken care of by the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, by good people, inshallah, there'll be community support, inshallah ta'ala. Inshallah. The, does the sister live near you, Sister Lenny, or is she? Okay. So have you introduced her to other people in the community? And, and okay. Okay. You took the shot at mom, okay. Uh-huh, okay. Everything is must be some reason. Alhamdulillah. I have intention many for a while to take her here. Alhamdulillah. Because it's so so warm in here, people help Alhamdulillah. each other. Alhamdulillah. Uh, oh, I mean, over there too try, you know. But but when MALD, when you come, that's it. You do your thing and you get out. Mm. But if you don't know anybody, you don't really do anything like mm. talking about religion or anything. So mm. on Sunday school, last Sunday we try to arrange. One sister talked to her while I'm doing my uh, you know, teaching yeah. in, in the Sunday yeah. school. So I said, Please do something because we need somebody to talk to somebody. You know? Absolutely. I mean, she used to know all the Arabic, she, she yeah. know how to read the Quran, but we have to mm. refresh the memory, all that thing. Mm. So. She knew how to read Quran from before. Right, correct. She, uh. she grew up in Surabaya, in Jember. Oh, Surabaya. Yeah, I've been to Surabaya. Surabaya. I've been to Surabaya, alhamdulillah. Correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Sorabaya is beautiful. Correct. There's lots but of. <laughs> she, she married with the husband become Christian, and then all this. Ah, I see. So she was raised Muslim, became Christian, now came back to Islam. Because that time I was young, so maybe uh, you didn't I don't know. Underst- uh, yeah. I don't understand much, yeah. and uh, so I just follow what my husband did. Allah is all forgiving. Alhamdulillah, Allah is all forgiving. Alhamdulillah. This is my wife Perry here. Inshallah, you can meet the sisters after. Inshallah, the sisters will. Uh, I'll take her number and keep in touch with her. Inshallah. And, uh, this morning yeah. I was looking, watch up group. I said, oh, they have something going on. I called her. Alhamdulillah. Come here right away. So that's why this is the reason. And please help our sister that any professional help that she needs uh, with her child. Um, you know, sometimes you, you really need professional help. So 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 please help her. You know, get. Welcome. Thank you for coming to visit us. Would anyone else like to add to that? Any other uh, questions? None online? That's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us tawfiq in all of our affairs. Ya Rabbil Alameen, bless us to be able to be a great example for our children, raise our children in the best of ways. Ya Rahmur Rahmeen. Bless us to be able to rely upon you completely and place our trust in you completely. Ya Rahmur Rahmeen. In relation to the upbringing of our in children, Ya Allah, and the inculcation of virtue within them, bless all of us. Husband and wife alike, father, mother and father alike, and our children, Ya Rabbil Alameen, and all of our families and brothers and sisters of the community, be able to follow in the footsteps of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Make the light of La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah firmly rooted within us, firmly grounded within us, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Bless us to be able to never waver, Ya Rahmat Rahimeen. Bless us to be able to get through all of the very difficult circumstances that you place us in. And respond in a way that is not just pleasing to you, but most pleasing to you, Ya Rahmat Rahimeen. Allahumma bless our faith to be able to be deep. Bless our iman to be able to grow. Bless us to be able to attain Yaqeen, Ya Rahmat Rahimeen. Give us openings in iman, islam, and ihsan. And bless us to be able to devote ourselves entirely to you, inwardly and outwardly. And ward off from us all harm and all difficulty, Ya Rahmat Rahimeen. In all difficult matters, we ask you, Ya Al-Jalali Karam, to make them easy. Invest the very best day of our lives to be the day that we meet you. After a long life spent in your obedience and deep belief in you, may we have the very last thing that we say when we exit this dunya. 
completely actualizing its meanings inwardly and outwardly.